This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca and Tara, and we are here today to do book chat number 13, Lucky 13. (laughs) Hello, Rebecca. It seems like it's been so long since we've done one of our book chats. I agree, it does. Actually, I think it's been over a month since we, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's been over a month since we recorded one. Yeah, because I know we try to do it monthly, but... Last month, we had some interviews and other stuff going on that it just didn't work out. So, but that's great because we're bringing extra books as a result. Yes, that's a really good point. So, but before we talk about what we've read, how about what are you currently reading? Okay, so I have two books on the go. I have a nonfiction and a fiction book. My nonfiction book, which I think you're going to want to read. I am, this is the year of nonfiction for me, but I'm not going to, I'm going to hold that off for our like year end chat kind of thing, that thought. Just yeah. let's put a pin in that. Okay, but my current nonfiction is I Take My Coffee Black Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America by Tyler Merritt. Are you familiar with this book? No, but where in the world did you find this book that's fascinating? No idea. I don't, I keep, (laughs) I keep a list of books as I hear about them, but I do not, unlike you, I do not keep track of where I got the recommendation. So I'm not sure where I found it, but it is fantastic book. So it was written, I think it was published about two years ago. And Tyler Merritt is an American actor, musician, I think goes on and on. He's quite multi-talented. A couple of years ago, he wrote, I think how it, this book came about, he did a video on being black, essentially, in America. And Jimmy Kimmel saw it and shared it. And it went viral, his video. And it eventually led to this book. And it Ooh. is a memoir of him from the time of his childhood until like, you know, present day. Through high school, he was raised in Nevada, which I find fascinating because I didn't think anyone actually lived in Vegas. I should say not Nevada, but in Las Vegas. I didn't think anyone actually lived in Vegas. I thought people just visited Vegas. (laughs) So I find that really interesting in itself. And so it's with his journey through high school, uh, musical theater, being a member of like a Christian rock band interspersed throughout this wherever he finds himself in life he then throws in nuggets of american history and these yes and these are now i in canada when i grew up you grew up knowing learning american history because we had american tv so oftentimes i knew more american history than i did canadian history however he's sharing american history that i don't think is always shared if you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like I even within the first 20 pages I went to my husband and I'm like, "Mike, you're not going to believe this." And he's like, <laughs> "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And then like 5 pages later I'll come back and be like, "And this." And he's like, "How much of that book have you read?" And I'm like, "17 pages." Anyways, it's wow. like, yeah, it's really really good. Like I love his life story. I love his attitude towards life. But the way he's sharing these little nuggets of history and race in 
America. It's really readable and entertaining and educational. It's a great book. Now, is this a book that you got from your library or did you purchase this book? Library. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then my fiction book is a Christmas book that I mentioned on our Christmas episode, and that's The Holiday Match by Tori Samuels. It's a romance. It's a sweet little romance. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Okay. So I, I, you know me, I try to just read one book at a time, right? So yep. I haven't fully committed, but I have two books that I'm, I've sort of kind of started. And the first one is a book that I got from the publisher. I am reading the very famous Canadian classic, In Search of April Raintree. It's the 40th anniversary edition. And I'm not sure how to pronounce the author's name. It's Beatrice Mosianer. Mosianer. I'm not really sure, so I apologize for butchering that. But basically, it's about two girls who are sisters, and they're taken from their home and family, and they're put into a foster care situation. And I don't know the full story behind it, but I know that it's a great classic. Although I think you have not read it, correct? I have not. No, I hadn't even heard of it actually until you mentioned it. So apparently, and and it's so interesting because the foreword was written by Katerina Vermette Mm -hmm. and the people who wrote the uh, little blurbs in the front of the book, it's Sherry, is it Sherry Dimmeline? Am I saying that right? Yeah. David Robertson. Wow. Let's see. And then other people that are like in Canadian government. So apparently this has been around for, well, 40th anniversary. And I'm so I'm really looking forward to it. And actually right now, our friend Jolene on her YouTube channel, they are going to be doing, I don't know what the date is. So I'm not sure if this podcast will come out before or after that, but they're actually going to be doing a book discussion about this book on her YouTube cool. channel. Nice. So anyway, now there's that one, right, which I've started. Yep. But then but then, you know, I'm a mood reader and we got an I got another book from a public I mean from a publicist and it's Garden Inventories: Reflections on Land, Place and Belonging by Miriam Pierby, I think is her name. And here's what it says. Because this is the kind of book I love. Yeah. Nonfiction. It says in Garden Inventories Herby brings her scholar's eye, her love of story, and an irrepressible sense of humor to bear on the questions of how we interact with the land around us from what it means to create a garden through the haze of nostalgia to the way tradition and nature are bound up in cultural ideals such as cottage country or even the great Canadian wilderness. And this just sounds fabulous. So I'm kind of torn between both of those, but they are definitely one of those two that I will really dig into they both sound great Mm -hmm. excellent so do you want to go first and talk about what you've read that you want to share sure okay so the first book i'm going to bring oh yes can i interrupt a minute and i want to ask you a question you know what i noticed about you oh no i was looking at uh story graph yeah and i noticed that you read a lot of books that you never post on Instagram or talk about on the podcast. I was a little shocked by how many books you've read that I have never heard you talk about. Like I didn't even know you read them this year. So is that a conscious thing or how do you, I mean, it's not a criticism. It's just, I was like, you have read some great books this year that I feel like you haven't talked about. Yeah. I don't think it's, 
conscious. I think it's most of them, I think, get posted on Instagram, although some do slide because I don't, when I'm working during the week, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I can't take pictures. I don't have the time to take the pictures and I just yeah. don't have the energy to post. So like usually Monday to Thursday or Monday to Wednesday are kind of inactive zones for me on Instagram. Oh. And so then it kind of is, do I, if I, whether or not I remember which books I've read, but the time the weekend, the following weekend comes around mm-hmm. to post. And and sometimes it might just be, maybe I don't have anything really interesting or new to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that, because I know I did read last month, I read the latest book by Lisa Jewell, mm-hmm. which was the first Lisa Jewell book I've ever read. And I read it for my book club. Oh yeah. And I was like, you know what? I like, it was a really good thriller. But I had nothing new to say about it. And I'm like, Lisa Jewell really doesn't need me to help her sell books. Yeah. So I just didn't even bother post it. Because I'm like, eh, okay. someone else will post it and do a better job. And I'm like, I'd rather focus my energy on a book that I would rather focus my energy on. <laughs> okay. But I will say this for your for your listeners, the people who really love your recommendations, I would highly recommend that they check you out on StoryGraph because I'm telling you, you had some great books I thought on there that I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea like what you thought of it. I mean, I could see how many stars you gave it, that yeah. type of thing, right? But anyway, I, so my whole point of bringing this up is to say, if you're interested, if you really like the recommendations that Tara makes, check out her story graph because there are quite a few books there, at least for this year, that she did not talk about, but you may enjoy them if you like the recommendations she makes. So I just wanted to say that. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I try to read very, I don't even try. I just do read a lot you of just the do. varied yeah different genres and stuff like that. And you find authors and books that I just think, I don't necessarily like see them in the bookstore. Like they don't jump out at me a lot of some of these titles that you're finding. And that's why I love your recommendations. And so anyway, I am going to be checking out your story graph myself for some other titles because I was really surprised when I saw some things and I was like, damn, I didn't know she read that. Now I'm really curious what I didn't post. Now I have to go back and compare my story graph to my Instagram. Well, you might have to, like, after the holidays, mm-hmm. when your job slows down, you'll have to t- spend some time doing that. But yeah. seriously, because I look to see, and you've already, this year, I think, I think you had read 100 books already this year. Yeah. And I was like, damn, like, that is, like, I had no idea you read that many. And then I thought... Yeah. I don't think she's been listing all these. And that's when I looked it up and went, son of a bitch, look at that. <laughs> she hasn't. Sneaky. And so anyway, anyway, I don't I don't mean to I am belaboring the point and I don't mean to. It's, no, it's I'm fine. saying it for a positive reason, which is yeah. that everybody can go and get even more recommendations from Tara because again, your star system will be there. So we'll know if you yeah. really enjoy and it. And I do or... try to write a little something too if I if I can, mm-hmm. but I don't always get around to it. But I do try to write a little couple sentences about each book too yeah okay i'll shut up now (laughs) okay well on that note actually i am going to bring a book that i don't and an author that is not widely known in canada but i fully believe should be Mm -hmm. and it's an older book it's from 2007 it is from one of my favorite authors and you can hear an interview that we did with her in episode 144 and that is stephanie domet Mm-hmm. And the book is Homing, 
by Stephanie Domet. So this was, like I said, in 2007. She wrote another one of my favorite books, which is called Fallsy Downsies. I love her writing so much. So I'm just going to give a little synopsis of homing. So Leah is a young woman, I'd say late 20s, early 30s, living in Halifax. But she is haunted by what she's done, what she hasn't done, and also by the ghost of her brother. And her brother's ghost happens to reside outside the public library in downtown Halifax. And she is now, with what's going on, she is afraid to step outside of her home. So she is able to work from home, but she can't go outside of her home. She misses her brother and she communicates with him through the use of two homing pigeons, Sandy and Harold. Oh my gosh. Oh no, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful short novel. Like I think it's around 200 pages and it's just a beautiful story. It's sad. It's also happy. It's funny. Uh, Stephanie, as we know from the interview, has an amazing sense of humor uh, and it comes through in her writing. Her characters are brilliant. So in addition to Leah and her brother, there's also the musician who lives next door to her, uh, Leah's best friend who comes and brings stuff to her because she knows that Leah, in her grief about her brother's death, can't leave the house. And Domet writes these the stories of these characters. They're almost like separate stories that eventually they intersect. And when they intersect, it's just beautiful. Like, I can't tell you how much I loved this book. It took me far too long to read it because I read her other book, her second book, Fallsy Downsies, several years ago. Loved it. I've reread that book. And I knew she had this earlier book. And I think I put it off because I was like, what if I don't love it as much as I love this other book? So, but finally, eventually I did. I purchased it. It's going to be difficult to get, I think, through regular bookstores. Uh, Independent bookstore, I'm sure, would be able to order it in for you. The publisher for her books are Invisible Publishing. So you can go onto their website and order from, from them directly. Okay, what's your first book? I really couldn't remember. It's been so long ago. I couldn't remember if I talked about this, but even if I did, too bad I'm talking about it again. No, I really don't think I did, but it's I called... It again, don't worry. Uh, yeah. Well, this is a book that you and I, I think it was, again, the publicist reached out to us and I read this book. It's called Cravings and it is by Garnett Kilberg Cohen and it is a collection of short stories. And I'm just going to read a little blurb that I wrote on Instagram, but... I have here, uh, Cravings is a breathtaking collection of stories in which the characters exhibit a powerful desire for something, a father's love, a grander life, closure, time, friendship. I don't remember ever reading a short story collection that I loved as much from the opening story to the finale. Cohen has mined the very gems that define the intricate stories of our lives. Hope, disappointment, longing, failure, love, and acceptance resonate throughout this collection. And let me tell you, I have never loved any short story collection as much as I love this one. Like I already know that I'm going to reread this one again. And I'm not somebody who goes back and rereads books, but I, every single story 
I finished it and just went, wow, like I loved each story. And I did get a chance to go just oddly enough. I found out that an independent bookstore called Literati in Ann Arbor, Michigan, she was going to be there to speak. She lives in the Chicago area, and one of her uh, good friends lives here in Michigan. And so they were at the bookstore, and she read from the book, and she answered questions and everything, and she has agreed to be on the podcast. So at some point, hopefully in January maybe or so, we'll have her on the podcast and I'm really excited but I highly recommend this book. I just eat and it's so funny the thing about short stories that I really love is okay this is kind of weird but this is what I love about them. <laughs> Sometimes I read one and then I think I want a full freaking novel about this. Like mm -hmm. I want a whole novel. And then I say to myself, but that's the beauty of this story is that it leaves me wanting more but that it makes such an impression. And I love that about short stories when they can grab you that way. Yeah. But each one of her short stories, I wanted a full novel about the characters and the storyline and everything. So anyway, absolutely loved it. Highly recommend. Please check it out. And it also has, if you go to my Instagram, it has one of the most compelling covers, like the cover art on this. I would love this on a poster. I'm not kidding. I love this book so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my first book. That's a great one. I haven't read it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and I worry that I I've older oversold it. So I hope that when you read it, that you enjoy it. Yeah. Oh no, I, I I'm not worrying about you overselling a book to me. I worry about others, depending on the source, but I'm not worried about you. And that's okay. so don't worry. Yeah. No, All right. Thank thank no you. No okay. fear. <laughs> okay. What's next? Okay, I'm going to bring a memoir next, and it is "If You Lie Down in a Field, She Will Find You There" by Colleen Brown. Again, I'm going to say the same thing as you. I'm not sure if I've brought this one before. Can't remember, but no, because I'm I can't wait to hear what you have to oh, say about okay. it. Okay, so this is I really enjoyed this one, obviously, but it's very unusual memoir in terms of structure. So it's not just like a straight line narrative. It uses very poetic language, and it's interspersed like with. Her writing is interspersed with memories from her family members. Uh, I think there are also like pictures. Yeah, there were definitely pictures, um, even articles from a newspaper. Because mm. the whole story, I should say that too, is that her mother, when she was not very old, when she was a young child, was murdered. And through both in this memoir, what she is doing is she through her own memories and the memories of family members, she builds a picture of her mother, not as a murder victim, which what is what happens to people, unfortunately, right through the media, yeah. is that you just then become a murder victim and that's it. So she is able to, and I think this is what her goal was, to uh, build a picture of her mother as a person and as a mother. So something not just a murder victim beyond that murder victim. Because unfortunately, she lost her at a young age and didn't get to know her. Yeah. And often that was the predominant picture was that she was a murder victim. So it's a beautiful, unusual memoir that I really enjoyed. And I'm even going to share one sentence. Like I said, the language was beautiful, but this one sentence really stuck out to me. And I think uh, is uh, something that we can all relate to. 
So the landscapes of our childhood remain inside and forever determine what is beautiful. And I just thought that's so cool because that it's really... true because whatever you think of as beautiful, like the surroundings mm-hmm. that you're raised in is mm-hmm. kind of what you as an adult, you find, continue to find beautiful. Even if you can find other stuff beautiful, there is, you know, it's your childhood that really is formative in that sense. So that is yeah. so true and so beautiful. Yeah. So it's a great memoir. Now I will, I don't want anyone to think because of the way I've described it, that you're going to get the story of her mother's murder because you are not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the point of the memoir. So just heads up. If you're looking for true crime, that's not what you're going to get here. Yeah. It's a beautiful one. It sounds really beautiful. And I yeah. do, I want to read that one. So thank you for that review because I was curious about that one. So yeah. no, I think you would really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, this has been a, the last few months have been a Richard Wagamese mm-hmm. celebration. So obviously he passed away in 2017, I think it was, I think. And so his books are older, right? But I wanted to mention the first one, which was Keeper and Me, which was his first novel. Oh, I and, didn't realize it was his first novel. Yeah. Huh. And I loved this book. So I'm going to actually read just a little bit about the um, the description. But it says, so Garnet Raven is is the main character. And it says, when Gar- Garnet Raven was three years old, he was taken from his home on an Ojibwe Indian reserve and placed in a series of foster homes. Having reached his mid-teens, he escapes at the first available opportunity, only to find himself cast adrift on the streets of the big city. And so basically, he then connects with his family and he meets this elder named Keeper and Keeper, he and Keeper both have a need for community and a way to learn how to be in community because Keeper had had alcohol, alcoholism in his past and he was trying to make his way back into community as well. And it is just this beautiful story of these two men and the chapters, they are, I, let, let me rephrase that. There aren't chapters. I think it's like four sections. And when Keeper speaks, it's italicized. And so it's just him giving his take on Garnet. And then it's just the story of these two men trying to find their way. And it is just absolutely beautiful. It is poetic. It is. It was a wonderful read. I still. It blows me away that that was his first novel because, talk about a storyteller. Good lord, and it's and it's a tragedy that he passed so young. I think he was like sixty one, mm-hmm. and it's just like ah, uh, you know, we lost something. I mean, he had I don't know how many books, maybe ten or twelve or fifteen books total or something. But still, here's a voice I really wish we could continue to hear and. Um, and I don't, so that's my point too. And I'm not sure how many people will go back and read this. And you know, now I'm starting to feel like I've already talked about this book. Have I already talked about this book? I, don't I feel know. like now I have. It's okay, okay, I can't remember. Keep going. Okay, well, anyway. So what I would say is if you have not read Richard Wagamese, read him. Indian Horse is often the one people start with. But I would say I've read three so far, and all three of them have just been absolutely brilliant and loved them. So I don't think it matters which one you start with, because I think a lot of times with 
writers that have been around for a while, people don't necessarily go back and read the beginning books. Mm -hmm. They more, more stick to the later ones. But I want to just say Keeper and Me absolutely loved it. Highly recommend it. And, um, it's it's just poetic. It's just his writing is just so beautiful. And these characters, you will fall in love with them. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my second one. Nope, that's a great one. And it's I just looked it up. Yeah, he passed in 2017. And I think it says something for his writing that the literary world continues to mourn that he is no longer with us. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's been seven years, almost seven years, right? It was March 2017. And people, it still keeps coming up that they miss his writing. So, And you know what's interesting? One of his best friends is Sheila Rogers. No. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, in one of the books, I don't remember which one, he, you know, whenever they have the, where they thank everybody, the acknowledgments and Mm -hmm. stuff. And he just talks about how important she was in his, or was in his life. And I just think to myself, we did lose, I mean, obviously the people who loved him the most miss him the most. But I mean, we all really are missing something because I'm definitely going to go back and read everything he's written. I cannot wait to read each one of them because I just, anyway, I just, I don't remember another author whose writing has just really affected me as much because I, because I, I'll be honest, I don't usually read a lot of one author. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll read one that's really good and I'm like, I love that. And then I just sort of move on. But with him, I'm I already know I'm going to read everything he's written. I yeah. just love him so much. Well, even the fact that you've read three of his books in a fairly short period of time yeah. is a lot for you. Like, I don't think you've done anything like that since I've known you. No, but see, that was part of my goal. Remember how I said I have one year to read books that I purchased and I was, oh, yes. I bought, <laughs> I bought, I bought his two of his books at the same time so that I was like, I got to read these books. But now I'm just blown away. And I think what a gift yep. it was for me to have both at the same time and to read them so close together. But Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Book number three for me, I'm bringing the newest book by another favorite author of mine, Michael Crummy. So Newfoundland author. And the book is The Adversary. Wow. So don't, if you're looking for like an uplifting book, don't pick this book up. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a, I loved it. I I love his writing anyways, because he transports me to Newfoundland. And I, I realized too, as he does this, like this is set probably like 200 years ago. I love that he does not actually give you a date, Mm. but you just, you know, from what's going on that it's 200 years ago. And yet what he wrote is relevant to right now in terms of like power dynamics and rich, powerful people and how terrible they can be. I don't want to spoil anything, but so this is a great book set back, let's say 200 years ago, uh, Newfoundland had a mercantile system. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Rebecca, or... Well, not necessarily in Canada, but I mean, it's happened in the U.S. It yeah, in the US. like it's happened also in, for, so in Newfoundland, it would have been so in these little outport villages that solely relied on fishing because you couldn't grow really very much at all except potatoes and turnips in Newfoundland. The fishermen essentially worked for the merchant and the merchant controlled the price that the fishermen got for their fish. And in return, also controlled how much uh, everything costs because 
the fisherman got money from the merchant for the fish, but then the money went back to the merchant to pay for supplies to get them through the winter, like their food, fish nets, anything that they would need. So, you know, it was a very lopsided system that really only benefited the merchant. Mm-hmm. And in the adversary, you have a brother and sister. So Abe Strap, the brother, he's horrible. He's There's nothing redeeming about him whatsoever. He's just a horrible person. And then you have his sister, who's only referred to the widow Keynes. Uh, you don't get her first name at all. Keynes is her married name. And they have now... They are adversaries in that they are both merchants working, fighting against each other to control more wow. on the coast of Newfoundland that they, that they are. I can't remember if it's the south coast. I can't remember which area of Newfoundland they're in. And it's just them being horrible. You get their backstories as children. Again, nothing redeeming about Abe. You really want to like the widow. I, you know, because you get some of her backstory that you're like, you want to like her. And in fact, also that she's a woman who is in this power position is impressive too. But, you know, she just keeps doing stuff that you can't like her. Wow. You can't. Yeah. But the way that they manipulate the people of the village and how it reflects on the political environment that we find ourselves in at the time is really quite impressive that he's done this it's that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone but it's a good book but it's not there's nothing happy in it okay so is this a new book you said yes so I think it came out just in September October okay what do you want to bet I you never know because Of you never know what the theme will be, but what do you think could it make the Canada Reads list? Because this totally sounds like a Canada Reads book. What do you think? Uh, it could, it could. It's interesting. It well, I would love to see him make the Canada Reads. I think he's been on the Canada Reads list before some for his earlier book, mm-hmm. one of his earlier books. Um, I think it would be very a very divisive book because I think you Ooh. either like it or you don't like it. I can't remember. Someone I follow on Instagram had also read it, and we have common tastes in books. Mm-hmm. And she did not like this book Ooh. because it was too dark. It was too, too much, too negative. And I can't remember. She described it perfectly, and I wish I could remember how she described it because I'm like, yes, as a person who loved that book, I'm like, that is the perfect description of it. But yet I liked it. She didn't. Ooh. I would read this one. This totally oh, sounds yeah. like something I would really, really like. Oh, you'll hate them both. They're yeah, yeah, like yeah, not yeah. the book, but <laughs> the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had the same thing because if you look at the history of the United States and especially when I lived in California, the, um, they, they had the whole thing with all the gold rush people. They, the ones who were trying to pan or mine for gold the people who ran the mercantile store, you know, all those, they are the ones that made a boatload of money. Yes. And it was the people going up there trying to make a fortune that weren't making a fortune. But boy, let me tell you, the, they have they call in Sacramento, it's a big four, and it's these four, obviously, white men who just made a boatload of money and blah, blah, blah. So I would love this book, yeah. I think. Yep. <laughs> I think so, too. 
it would allow me to hate them. So that would be great. Oh, yeah. Because it's always fun to hate characters sometimes, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Not because they're poorly written, but because they're so perfectly yes. written as hateable characters. Yes. We need characters like that because yeah. in the U.S. We're, we have real live characters like that. Yes. So we would, I would like to read some fictional yeah. ones for a change. <laughs> totally. Totally. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Your turn. So my next one is, again, another Richard Wagamese book because I kind of read them back to back. And I actually read this for a book club that I was in. And then I just have to laugh. My laptop died and I had to get a new one. And it was just a big nightmare mess. And I couldn't get online. It was just so embarrassing. Like I couldn't. Anyway, whatever. I'm not a moron when it comes to technology, but with a brand new system and I logged on too late, I just, it was like a cluster F, you know? And so I ended up not participating. So I read the book without being able to discuss it. So let me just say this. It was Medicine Walk. And this one is about uh, Franklin Starlight, who I believe is 16 years old. And he has never had his father really in his life. His father kind of came and went and often was uh, under the influence of alcohol and just was somebody he could never count on. But he is living with this man. And I think, gosh, now I can't remember. I think in the book, he just refers to him as the old man. You never have a name of the person, but he's living with this person his whole life. His mother died when he was younger. And his father all of a sudden shows up and says, I want you or actually sends him a message and then he goes to see his father and he says, I want you to take me up to this certain place and leave me there to die because he's obviously has like liver failure. He's in really bad shape. He is barely hanging on by his fingernails. And one of the things I loved about this story is it almost felt like I was reading like an old Western. It's kind of weird, like Franklin or Frank, the main character, the boy, he it just felt like because he rides in he rides to see his father on a horse. And so it just yeah. felt like very old style, like the old West or something, which of course is offensive in the terms of these are, you know, indigenous people yeah. that we're talking about, characters. And that's what was weird. It was like a weird mix of it felt like this old classic Western. Huh. But it's modern day. So but you don't ever get a sense that it's modern day. That's what's kind of fascinating. I mean, yeah. There's no hint of like certainly technology or anything. There's just no hint of anything. So it had this like old feel to it, but then you sort of knew it was modern. So I don't know. It it just, it transported me to a really magical space while I was reading it. And that's how it felt. It just felt like this fable or fantasy or something. You know what I mean? It, It just gave me the most amazing feeling while I was reading it. And I know you'd read it, but you said it a long time ago, right? Yes, it was several years ago. Yeah. And I I did not have that experience with it, but I find that fascinating that this is how it made you feel. Like this is the sense you got from it. Very cool. Yeah. And it was. And so uh I will say that the and I wrote a really personal post and I'm not gonna say anything because it's really it, it it was a really, really, really emotional read for me. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know why, you can certainly check in uh, on my Instagram account. But I loved this book and it was the right book for me to read at this time. It it 
kind of informed some of what I've been going through this year and my own personal experience. And so even though, you know, my family, we are not indigenous, this indig- these indigenous characters are speak to everybody, right? This isn't yeah. just that story, although it is a critically important story in terms of, you know, colonialism and the way that people live and his father and 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 how he tried to live his life and his mother. I mean, it was just, it's really a tragedy, but it's, it's a really beautiful story overall. Now, the thing I'm really, really excited about is I did not know this, but the last novel he published or was published, I think, after he passed is called Starlight. And it is about Frank as an adult. Oh, I did not know that either. I know. I didn't think you did because to be honest oh. with you, I didn't either because I never really, and then I started looking at all of his books. And when I read that, I went, are you kidding me? And it's about Frank as a as a young man, yeah, an adult who a young woman, I think a woman with a child or something comes to his property and I guess they he takes her in or something. And it's that story. And I was like, oh my oh. gosh. So I love that he, he wasn't finished with Franklin, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm so, I love that he wasn't, and I get to read that book. And yeah. I can't wait to do more research to read about his books and his stories and how he came to read, you know, came to write them. And one of the last things I want to say about this is in those three books that I've read, each one of them, the, the editions that I had, had a puzzle piece missing on the cover. The three books I have all have a puzzle piece missing. And I think that is fascinating because yeah. that is not, that's purposeful. So I kind of said, I think in something I wrote, I said, it makes me wonder if, did Richard Wagamese find the missing piece to the puzzle he needed when he wrote that story? Hmm. So, yeah. Very so I'm going to cool. do a little research on that too, because I find that really fascinating. Yeah. That's very cool. Great books, great books. Uh, and thank you for that. Now I have to go pick up Starlight soon. Me too. I can't wait to read yeah. that one. Okay, I'm going coming back with a um, another nonfiction, another memoir. Wow. So this one, I know this. I <laughs> man, I've read some great nonfiction this year. Yeah. I really have. So this one, I think I've mentioned it. I don't care. Anyways, it is <laughs> fifteen thousand pieces. Yeah. A Medical Examiner's Journey Through Disaster by Gina Leola Woolsey. So I think I brought this one to our nonfiction November oh, okay. episode. I'm not, not entirely sure, but I think that's what I did. So this, another fascinating book, and this is the author's first book. I think she met Dr. John Butt in real life, like a they now both live on the West Coast, and he told Ooh. her her story. Told her his story. So, wow. Doctor John Butt was the medical examiner for Nova Scotia when the Swiss Air Flight One Eleven went down in September nineteen ninety eight, just off the coast of Halifax. So, through this book, she tells the story of his experience as a medical examiner during this tragedy along with his life story from the time that he is uh, a child up until he, how he became a medical examiner and what brought him to Halifax, to Nova Scotia. It is fascinating. 
both stories are fascinating. But what I loved too is that she, so he, during the Swiss Air Flight 111 tragedy, he became known for the compassion that he showed the victims' families because all 229 people on board the flight were killed. And during the investigation and the recovery, he became known in the media just as the one who showed true compassion for these families as they themselves were working through it. When everyone else was kind of like trying to just do the investigation, he is the one that made connections with the, the families. Wow. And I found in this story, because he is a also a closeted gay man that comes I'm not spoiling anything here. So he's got a complicated backstory and life story himself. And so she treats his life with the same compassion with which Dr. John Butt treated the family members of the victims. And it's just, it's a brilliant book, a fascinating life story. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah, because I have a copy of that one as well. And I am looking forward to reading it. I can't even imagine the trauma of what he experiences in mm-hmm. his profession. And yeah. then, like you say, he's closeted, but I assume that he starts to come out or is mm-hmm. able to come out. I mean, is the ending, like, do we get a hopeful sense that he's he'll be okay at the end, kind of? Or should you not talk about the end yet? Yeah, no, no, I can talk. Yeah, I can talk without telling you to. Yo, no, I, I, it is hopeful because I think Good. he was raised, um, he's from originally Alberta, and he was raised, oh, I can't remember when he was born, but it would have been in like the 40s, 50s that he was really his most formative years mm-hmm. when you kept stuff in. And if yeah. you were like, you know, a real man, everything was kept inside and you didn't let it out. So that one left, left to be him being a closeted gay man because he couldn't be a gay man. He ended mm-hmm. up did getting had being married and having a family, but it was not a good relationship. And also because of that, then whatever, when he started doing his training and practice as a medical examiner, you see some horrible stuff, right? Yeah. And you just, he would keep that inside as well. And he would have mental breakdowns mm. that were... PTSD and so he but he would after a while knew the signs and was able to get help for them so he yeah like no it's a it's a great story it's there's rough moments the whole point but it's watching him go through this and with his family it's yeah it's good yeah thanks for sharing that one too because I am looking forward to reading that one Heads up, there are some graphic details uh, when it comes to perhaps autopsies and such stuff. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, if you don't like that, there are a few, not a lot, but there are a few things, but you can easily skim the paragraph and you're not going to miss anything of the story. My next one is actually just a three-part series, but it's uh, March... Uh, by John Lewis, and it is a graphic novel series of three books about the march during the civil rights from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama for uh, civil rights, but most importantly, the right for Black Americans to vote. Because 
uh, we have done a really poor job historically uh, making sure that people, even though they had the right to vote, we didn't, I mean, we had so many things that we, other rules we set up to maybe ensure that uh, black Americans couldn't vote. So this has been out for a while. In fact, the first book in the series came out in 2013, which I didn't realize if you had asked me like how long ago did it come out, I would have been like, oh, like five years ago, (laughs) but it's been 10. And I've always wanted to read it and I just hadn't. And it's really an absolutely brilliant award-winning series. And it, it won the National Book Award. It won the Prince Award, which is one for nonfiction for uh, young adults. And also I think it won, oh, the Credit Scott King Award, one of the Credit Scott King Awards as well. But it was, I mean, I cried reading this thing because if we do not, I'm sure Canada's the same way, but if we do not in the United States start teaching the truth about our history, that that will be the greatest shame for the rest of our, however long this planet exists and this country exists, because I learned things at my age that I did not know. And while that was happening, you know, the civil rights, I was still pretty young when all of that was kind of happening. There's no excuse for that. Like, these are things I should have known. And it's shocking to me to be this. It's kind of like when you said you were reading some things about American history and you Mm -hmm. were saying to Mike, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this. It's really it's really terrible to be this age and to be reading something for the first time and understanding it, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to say in a little like bookish serendipity, this is going to come all right. I'm so glad you mentioned it. So the uh, I take my coffee black. I'm going to circle it back to that because Rebecca, uh, when you talk about the vote, he mentioned he did a little snippet about obviously we all know that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And that is essentially all I really knew. I didn't know about the repercussions Mm -hmm. of it. So prior to him being assassinated, again, we also probably knew this. Uh, there's the Emancipation Act, right? Mm-hmm. And Lincoln and his government were looking for ways to, I don't know if retri- retribute, not reimburse, but- oh, reparations. Reparations, thank you, for the freed slaves. And so they had spoke to like black members of the community and said, you know, what, what can we do? And they were like, well, we would love some land. That would be great. And they were like, done, you're right. You should have land. So they had in the South taken off, I can't remember the amount, but took a huge portion, like parcels of land, and were going to give it to the newly freed slaves. Then Lincoln was assassinated. And through after his assassination, Tyler Merritt refers to Andrew Jackson as Andrew Jackass Jackson, then Mm. became president. Mm -hmm. He reversed it. So... All those, all the white landowners who were going to lose their land, like we're going to be, the land was going to be taken from them and given to the slaves. He said, no, no, that's not going to happen. You can keep your land. But the black people can work on the land for you. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer slaves, but you can work on the land that is owned by the white people and you have to give them like 25% of whatever, or maybe it was actually more than that. I think it was more than that because they end up getting like being left with 25% of what they make from the land. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things. So, and, and there's other things about voting too, but uh, yeah, that was one of the things I'm like, where I did not 
I know about the assassination, but I didn't know about the ripple effect that followed. And I'm going to assume that was the 40 acres and a mule. That was the phrase, right? They were supposed to get 40 acres and a mule. Yes. I didn't know they didn't get it. No. See, I assumed they got it. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is I, I don't understand, you know, is a history shameful? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. It is horribly shameful. And the point is, if you call it what it is, you you tell the truth and you call it what it is, the obvious thing would be, well, then let's never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and every time yeah. I hear people say, oh, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. We freaking repeat it all the time. Yeah. Because we don't know it. Exactly. Because we don't tell the truth about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to say, I just saw, and I think you can see it on Amazon Prime or something, but I went to see it on the big screen here locally. I got to see a, a documentary called, La- the, I think it was the Lakota Nation versus the United States. And I learned so much in that. And I looked at my mom and I said, when we were walking out, I said, did you learn anything here that you didn't know? And she's like, oh my God, yeah. And, yeah. and that's just, my mom's 87. You know, it's like, and it's not like we don't, it's not like we have tons and tons of things teaching us this because yes, you can read things here or there, but at the end of the day, we should be learning these things without uh, hiding them yeah. or pretending they never happened, which is of course what's happening here now. But yeah. So yeah, I can't wait to read that book you're talking about yeah. because I am really curious about some of the other things he talks about. And yeah. So what what I would say is if you are, if you're listening and you're an, uh, from the U.S., Please read March if you haven't read it, because like I said, I was reading it in tears because these people simply wanted their right to vote, which they already had, but they were being denied their right to vote. And then they were beaten. And the white racists that beat them and killed some of them, it's just... I don't even, and and many of them were law enforcement, to be honest. So yeah. I, and, and governors and everything else that, you know, said this will not happen here and, you know, desegregation and stuff. But anyway, so I would say if you're in the U.S. and you haven't read March, please read it. It's absolutely beautiful. Three volume set. And if you're Canadian and you're interested, definitely pick it up. It's, it's like I said, award-winning, uh, brilliant series. Sounds great. Okay, I'm uh, doing a whole pivot here for my last book. I am bringing A Gathering of Shadows, which is book two in a series by V.E. Schwab. It's book two in the, I think it's called, no, it's a magic series, and now I can't remember the the name of the series. But anyways, it's A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab. Fantasy, there's royalty, there's parallel London, so there's magic and there's a so there's a red london a gray london which is like our london where magic does not exist no longer exists a white london a black london all with varying degrees of magic and great characters oh i just love this it's like the fantasy series kind of series that i love so if you're looking for a fantasy series i'm just gonna throw this one out there for you like it's a great one i think that sounds fabulous yeah super fun. And it reminds me of what was the never, never something by uh, Neil Gaiman because oh, that was set wear? in London. Never yeah. Never wear. Yeah. yeah. Kind of reminds me of that maybe. Yeah. Yes, it is a little bit because 
not they can't not everyone can tra- you can't travel between mm-hmm. the different Londons. But some people can with a little bit of magic and they go back and forth, you know, and there's like, oh, in the second book that I just finished, there's a magical competition. Oh, there's some pirates like there's just a little bit of everything, a little bit of romance, a little bit of queer romance, some family. Oh, yeah, it's just and really well written as well. So how many books are in the series? Do you know? Three. Three. And how, and this is book number two? This was book two. And this and it in, and this is an older series too. I think it was published originally in 2017. Okay. So uh, heads up, the second book that I finished does end in a cliffhanger. So, ooh. But but you can easily get book three, which I don't have because I didn't realize I've been reading. There was a long space between the first book and the second book for me when I read them because the first book didn't end in a cliffhanger. It just the book ended. But this book two is like a continuation of the character's stories six months later. But book two, definite cliffhanger. And I'm like, I now have to get book three like as soon as possible. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Okay. Well, my last book, I think there should be like uh, a drum roll or like big a big fireworks display oh, or something. I know what this is. Yep. Promised Land by Barack Obama. (laughs) I finally finished it. And you know, it's so funny. I went to, for Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving at the end of November, uh, we drove to New Jersey and back. And I said, oh, I'm just going to listen to it in the car. There's no way. The way the traffic was, it was crazy and the weather and stuff. So I ended up uh, listening to it at home while I was putting uh, jigsaw puzzles together. And that was perfect because I was able to listen to it and do something at the same time. Anyway. Yes, I really enjoyed it. It's 700 pages of uh, Barack's life and, you know, being president up to the point where uh, Osama bin Laden is killed. And that's kind of where it ends. And I know he's got another, I don't know, I was thinking to myself, is it going to be two more or just, I can't imagine that it's going to just be one more because this, in this book, he's not even completed the first four years of his presidency. So I thought, oh my God, I think there's going to be two more. (laughs) We can do it, Rebecca. We can do it. I think we can. I think we can. Yeah. But here's what I just want to say really briefly about him, which was funny. I think because we've had a dumpster fire of a situation in the U.S. for, you know, after he left office. And it's funny to me that we we will lionize him. He will be on a pedestal that no other president in my lifetime will ever hit because he was so fabulous and his family was fabulous. There were no scandals. They were both, they were, the whole family is so brilliant. We love them all. Uh, But interestingly, after I finished it, I said to myself, you know, the thing is he has, he has that power, right? He's like a male with power. He's not a white male. He's a black male, but he has that power and he has that confidence and that swagger that you have to have if you mm-hmm. are going to be a decision maker at that level. And I am reminded that some of the decisions he made then are reverber- reverberating now because there are things happening in our world situation now that he contributed to. And so it's I was able to look at him, which I appreciate, with a more... Um, critical view than I expected to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was able to look at him and say, you know, he didn't do everything right. He didn't, 
you know, granted, he also had the Republicans working against him in a way that was unconscionable. They, yeah. they, they, they literally said, we do not want him to be successful. And it's because he's a black man, right? Yeah. And that's just disgusting because it should be about what's right for the American people, not what's how much you don't like this black man being a president, but whatever. Yeah. But still, I look at him and I think, I know that we're going to put him on a pedestal. Same thing like with Jimmy Carter. You know, Carter made some real big, you know, mistakes. But, you know, I think after the presidency, he was such an amazing person, human being, well, before and after. So I, anyway, I guess my my inarticulate point is <laughs> that it's interesting to read about living people to remember their mistakes and to keep them human and not mm-hmm. put them on a pedestal to the point that it's unrealistic to have them you know what I you know what I'm trying to say you know yeah. what I'm trying to say okay yeah so I do I do I'm glad I read it I would never have read it if it weren't for you so thank you for that and uh I think you're right we will get through probably <laughs> another two <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready I'm almost ready for book 2 yeah but I'm okay that it's taking him a while to write it. Yeah, I I am too because yeah. I just finished this one. Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah yeah. <clears throat> but I do I do look forward to it. This is probably our longest podcast, but we had a lot to talk about since it's been a while. So yeah. uh, I think this was good. Hopefully, you got some great recommendations out of it. And do you want to talk a little bit? Do you want to mention some of the things we have upcoming soon? Because there's a big announcement that just came out. Yes. Uh, so we are very excited that Canada Reads is going to announce their long list on, I believe, the 13th, right? So just in a couple of days from our recording. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a little impromptu podcast episode about our thoughts on the long list. We have a upcoming towards the end of the year, like our year in review and best of books. Mm -hmm. Anything else I'm missing? You have an Adam Schultz interview, which should be coming out shortly. That will be coming out shortly. Yeah, when I when my old laptop died, uh, we're having a little bit of difficulty kind of transitioning th- some things, but that all we're going to have a lot. The point is, yeah. by the end of this year, you're going to have a lot to listen to, which we think is a good thing. And then, yeah, Canada Reads will kick in. Yeah, super exciting. Okay, until next time, happy reading. 